This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Ready? See if you can identify these five clips in the order that they are played. It could be from a song, a movie, a TV show, or something else. But if it's coming from this podcast, then you know that it's from Generation X. If our guest gets it wrong on the show, then I'll explain how you can enter to win a fabulous prize package. Listen closely. Good luck. Of course not. Don't be ridiculous. <laughs> What's your name? It's hard to say in English. Well, just say in your language. My name is... Welcome to Who Will Save Generation X, the trivia game show that is dedicated to remembering, celebrating, and preserving all the wonderful qualities of Generation X through games, trivia, and friends. I am Xavier, host, and today we are back with our next single-player edition of the show we call The Home Game. This alternative format of the show gives you a chance to play at home, with a friend, or by yourself, as well as giving you your Gen X fix of trivia in between regular episodes of the show. Here's how we play the home game. Each episode, we invite a special guest and let them set the benchmark score for you to try and beat. Each round has a different game for you to try out. And at the end, you can compare your score with that of our special guest benchmark and earn your rank on the quiz. Our special guest this episode is an author of a biography on Betty Lou Gerson, who some of you might know better as Disney's original Cruella DeVille. Please welcome to the show, Dr. Lana Bailey. Hi, Lana. Thanks for coming on the show. Hi, Zave. Thank you so much for having me. It is a pleasure. Please say hello to the listeners. Tell them a little bit about yourself. Please include what generation you're from and how you feel about setting the benchmark score for the episode. 
All right. Well, hi, listeners. I'm very excited to be with everybody tonight. I think you're in for a treat because my benchmark score is probably going to be pretty low. (laughs) I am uh, sort of an imposter on this episode because I'm actually in the generation of millennials. But I do connect a lot with the Gen X pop culture and especially film. And so Zay was kind enough to have me on, even though I I may bomb out, but we'll just, we'll sort of see how it goes. You never know. There's been many people on the show that think, oh, I'm going to not get any correct. And they end up dominating. So we'll see how you do. So yeah. Let's put our best foot forward here. That's right. And either way, it'll be fun. It's going to be rad. Oh, yes. So listeners, let's see if you can outscore this barely Gen Y special guest or see if you need to go back and refresh your memory of the cool stuff of our youth. The power struggle. In the opening of this episode, you heard five quick clips from Generation X. The game is called The Power Struggle. And in this game, you need to name those five clips in the order that they were played. If you get all five correct and in the correct order, then you will be bumped up an entire letter grade and rank at the end of the quiz. So think of it sort of as an extra credit question to help you out with your score. There's no penalty for you if you get it wrong, but if our special guest gets it wrong here on the show, then we are going to open it up to all of you listening to contact the show and see if you can get it correct. All correct entries to contact the podcast via our newsletter will be put into a drawing to win a prize package from the show. So stick around to find out if Dr. Lana can get the Power Struggle question correct or not, then I'll explain how you can send in your entry to try and win it. Good luck. You know, Lana, we all have experienced these moments in our lives that We just don't want to deal with other people's crap. In these moments, we sometimes just throw up our hands, roll our eyes, and say, whatever. Whatever. To honor this time-loved tradition of Generation X, if at some point during this episode you feel sort of apathetic about answering one of the questions, you can use your whatever lifeline and the judges will give you a clue that could help you answer the question. So you want to get one whatever lifeline, so use it wisely, but please make sure you do use it. You can't take it home with you. Gotcha. There are a total of 22 points available in this episode. So everyone, please keep track of your score and we'll see how well you did versus our special guest benchmark at the end of the episode. Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! So that's enough talking about it. Let's do it. It's time to see if you can save Generation X from fading into oblivion. Round one. Round one this episode is a game called Gen X with a side of bacon. You know, they say that everything is better with bacon and movie makers from Generation X seem to live by that rule because with over 100 acting credits to his name, it felt like Kevin Bacon was in just about everything back in the day. In this game, I will provide you with a list of three TV shows or movies, and you must name the one that Kevin Bacon is not in. Mr. Bacon's career has had huge starring roles, supporting roles, and uncredited bit parts. So be sure to consider this before you answer. You'll receive one point for each correct answer. So number one, Kevin Bacon was not in A, Diner, B, Dead Poets Society, C, Tremors. Okay, I think it's B, the Dead Poets Society. Judges? That's correct. Well done. Yes. Thank you. In 1990, Kevin Bacon played Valentine McKee in Tremors. He was Timothy Finwick Jr. in 1982's Diner, which means option B, Dead Poet Society, is correct. It was rumored that he might have played Ethan Hawke's character in the film, but the role didn't offer him a chance to play a teenager who does gymnastics slash fusion dance by himself in an empty warehouse, so he had to pass. Here's question number two for you, Lana. Was Kevin Bacon not in A, Apollo 13, B, Dazed and Confused, or C, The Big Picture? Ooh, 
So I I'm gonna go with uh with a Apollo thirteen. Judges. Oh. Kevin Bacon played Jack Swigert in 1995's <laughs> Apollo 13. He was Nick Chapman in 1989's The Big Picture, which means that he was not in option B, Dazed and Confused. Oh. And that is the correct answer. Dazed and Confused came out in 1993. And surprisingly, that is the only year that Kevin Bacon does not have an acting credit on IMDb for his entire career. Interesting. Wow. So in the future, if you know that a movie came out in 1993, that's going to be the correct answer for this game. Right. right. As a hint. Yeah. And here's the last one in the round. Tell me which of these titles put Bacon on the side. Was Kevin Bacon not in A, Flatliners, B, Silverado, or C, Lemon Sky? Oh. Uh... I'm going to go with C, Lemon Sky. I, I'm not familiar with that. Oh, I'm sorry. That's oh. incorrect. Kevin Bacon played David Labrasio in Flatliners in 1990. He was Alan in 1988's Lemon Sky, which means he was not in option B. And Silverado was the correct answer. Oh, interesting. I have not heard of Lemon Sky. I need, I need to look that up for sure. I think his wife has because it was on the set for Lemon Sky where he met his now wife, Kira Sidgwick, in 1988. 23 years of marriage later, they found out through a DNA test that she and Kevin Bacon are actually related. The genealogy traced back pointed out that they are ninth cousins once removed. Wow. Most actors might be six degrees of Kevin Bacon, but it turns out that she's actually nine degrees of Kevin Bacon once removed. <laughs> so after one round, Robin, where's the benchmark set at? Were the points in the last round worth one or two points? One point apiece. One point apiece. And we are at one point. One point. One point. You're one for three. It's okay. Because <laughs> now we play round two where the points double. I've always Yay. wanted to say that. Before we start round two, let's take another listen to the power struggle. Get your cares away. Worries for another day. Let the music play. Of course not. Don't be ridiculous. <laughs> What's your name? It's hard to say in English. Well, just say in your language. My name is... Round two. Round two this episode is our trivia round. Each complete correct answer is worth two points. If you think you could convince the judges into giving you partial credit for your answer, you can award yourself one pity point for your partial correct response We'll use the honor system here. Good luck. The title of this question is called Get a Clue, Nancy Drew. Which, if that is not the title of this episode, I, I don't I don't know, man. <laughs> Nancy Drew was a spin-off character from the Hardy Boys mystery books. Like the Hardy Boys, Nancy's origins are from the 1920s, but due to her overwhelming popularity, the characters has lasted well into the present day. With a lifespan that long, you might be surprised to hear that all Nancy Drew books have been authored by the same person or at least the same pen name. Here's the question. Under which pen name are all Nancy Drew books published? This is a multiple choice. Is it A, Anna Sewell? B, Beatrix Potter? C, Carolyn Keene? Or D, Judy Bloom? Oh, I definitely know this one. I didn't need multiple choice at all. Carolyn Keene. That is correct. Well done. 
Thank you. I love Nancy Drew. They say that that is just sort of a pen name. And uh, many, many folks authored the books, which is, is pretty fascinating. Here's the fun fact. The hundreds of various Nancy Drew books have been published under the pseudonym Carolyn King. Though they were written by many ghostwriters throughout the years, just as you said, Dr. Bailey. The Nancy Drew Files, which started in the 80s, featured a more grown-up and professional Nancy Drew and included romantic subplots. The sex positivity of these books caused a short-lived outrage over, and this is not a joke, whether or not Nancy Drew was still a virgin. I've done just about everything there is except a few things that are illegal. I'm a nymphomaniac. Let me tell you. No one from Generation X will be surprised to hear that our parents caused a morality scare over Nancy freaking Drew. Are your parents aware of this? Uh, speaking of great titles for questions, I think this one might this one might be my favorite, even more than the last one. It's called "What's Polish for Squeaky?" Hello. <laughs> it is a television question. <laughs> That's awesome. Laverne and Shirley was the successful spinoff to Happy Days, focusing on two friends of the Fonz, starring the iconic duo of Penny Marshall and Cindy Williams. The show went for eight seasons and was home to its own set of beloved characters and actors. Michael McKeon starred as Lenny, one half of Lenny and Squiggy, the girls' friends and upstairs neighbors. But what was Lenny's full name? This is a multiple choice as well. Is it A, Leonard Nowalski? B, Leonard Kuznowski? C, Leonard J. Haukitschke? Or is it D, Leonard John Krasinski? Okay, I think I think it's B, and I can't remember what you said, but I think it's B. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, I'm going to go with B. Leonard Kosnowski? Yes. Good guess. That's correct. Now, Kosnowski's a pretty good name, Laverne. Uh, I had it practically all my life. Yeah, something really interesting about Squiggy on the show. I had posted something on Facebook about being such a fan of the show. And my husband's aunt commented on the post and said, oh, that's so funny because, you know, our cousin is married to Squiggy. What? And I said, are, are you kidding me? And so that has just impressed me so much. I tell my husband all the time, like, one of the best things about you is you're actually related to Squiggy. It's by marriage, but it's still really cool. <laughs> no doubt. So you're four yeah. degrees away from Squiggy. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Nice. Yeah. If my math is correct. Mm -hmm. Here's the fun fact. In the show, Lenny says he's not sure, but he thinks his last name is Polish for... My grandfather told me it means, help, there's a hog in my kitchen. I'm not going to do my impression of him, but <laughs> that's what it says. Oh, wait, here's a note from the judges. Uh, it says, turns out we have started to receive downloads from Poland for the podcast. So we have at least one Polish listener now to add to our two British listeners that make up our international audience. So to welcome our friend from Poland, Zabe, you have to read the actual Polish translation for help. There's a hog in my kitchen as a last name. Uh, judges, uh, I, I don't speak Polish and I think Google translate is shaky at best. I don't want to get off on the wrong foot with our new listeners from Poland by butchering their language. Are you sure? Okay, here we go. <clears throat> Welcome to our show, friends from Poland. From me to you, Pomaz wu molejev kunuchi zis swaininya. This is the best I got. I hope the judges didn't make you say something really super offensive and stupid because that would not be the first time. <laughs> okay, on to question number three. It's called, thank you for being a mom. I mean a friend. It is a television question. When the Golden Girls was first developed in Hollywood, many producers and broadcasters showed interest, though they all felt hesitant to pilot a show about older single women. 
The show finally found a home on NBC where it became an instant classic. This is due to the excellent writing and also the performances by Betty White, Rue McClanahan, Estelle Getty, and B. Arthur. Still loved today, The Golden Girls is heralded as one of America's best sitcoms of all time. When the show was first being pitched, the thought was that the four ladies would be in their 40s. The writers and casting directors pushed for an older cast, and the three younger women were around 55 when the series first started, and the character of Sophia was to be in her 70s. However, Estelle Getty, who played Sophia, was only 62 when the show started. In fact, she was actually younger than B. Arthur, who played her daughter, Dorothy. Here's the question. What was the age difference between Getty and Arthur? This is a multiple choice. No one's expecting you to know that off the top of your head. Okay. <laughs> is it A, one year, B, five years, C, seven years, four months, and two days, or is it D, 69 years? 69, dudes! I love the specificity of uh, C, but I think uh, I think they were... I think they had an age difference of one year, so A. One year is correct. Well done, Dr. Bailey. Thank you. Getty, who wore a wig and heavy makeup to appear older in the show, was the least well-known of the four actors when the show started, but made a name for herself on TV with her performance as Sophia. She was indeed one year older. That's correct. Shout out to the makeup team that worked with her, especially after she got a facelift before season number two. On to the next question. It's called Law As If which is a movie question. Clueless is one of the most iconic movies of the 90s. On the very late end of the Gen X timeline, this movie was one of our earliest introductions to Paul Rudd. The iconic vernacular used by Cher and her friends is a mix of real West Coast lingo and stuff that is completely made up. That is so fetch. Gretchen, stop trying to make fetch happen. It's not going to happen. It makes the movie extremely quotable and the movie is often referenced today. Here's the question. Clueless is a modern day, or at least it was in 1995, retelling of one of Jane Austen's Regency era novels. Which book is Clueless based off of? This is a multiple choice as well. Is it A, Pride and Prejudice? B, Emma? C, Mansfield Park? D, Persuasion? Or is it E, Sense and Sensibility and Sea Monsters? <laughs> It's tempting to choose the last one, but, um, oh, gee. Um, was it C that's Mansfield Park? Uh, C is Mansfield Park. That's correct. Okay. I'm going to go with that one. I'm sorry, Lana. C is incorrect. Emma is the correct answer. When writer and director Amy Heckerling was asked to write a script for a teen movie, she found inspiration in a classic book she remembered reading back in high school. It's really cool when female creators from other times inspire modern female-driven classics. Well done, Jane Austen. Not bad for a virgin who can't drive. So why am I even listening to you to begin with? You're a virgin who can't drive. Oh, that was way harsh, Ty. Here's a side note. Sense and Sensibility and Sea Monsters is the title of an actual Jane Austen parody novel. It's part of a horror parody series that includes the books Mansfield Park and Mummies, Mrs. Darcy versus the Aliens, Northanger Abbey and Angels and Dragons. And also Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, which was turned into a movie in 2016, grossing $16.4 million worldwide from a $28 million budget. Here's the last question of the round. It's called, What Couldn't Pa Do? Which is also a television question. 
Little House on the Prairie was based on the best-selling autobiographical book series of the same name about an American family from the late 1800s who homestead in the Midwest. This beloved piece of Americana was produced for TV by Ed Friendly after his wife and daughter encouraged him to do so. Like the books, the show was a hit. In the books and the show, Pa plays a musical instrument, if the time and energy permits, after working the homestead was finished for the day. What musical instrument does Pa play? Is it A, piano, B, harmonica, C, flute, D, fiddle, or is it E, a 1962 Fender Stratocaster, original pickups, maple neck, strung upside down for a left-handed mother effing genius? I really want to pick that one <laughs> just because. Okay, I think I think it's harmonica. Remember, you also have a your whatever lifeline. So if you don't know, oh, this is true. This I mean, is I'm true. I'm not advocating you use it. I'm not telling you that you're wrong ahead of time in okay. hopes that you will use your whatever lifeline so you get a higher score uh-huh. and make uh-huh. the game more challenging for the listeners. But I'm just reminding you that it's there should you choose to use it. Would you like to use it or you want to stick with your incorrect answer? <laughs> um, <laughs> I think uh, I think I'll use it. That's a great. You're gonna use it. Oh, okay. Yeah, let's let's use it. You have to say. You have to say whatever. Oh, I have to say it. Don't. Okay. Okay. Uh, Whatever. Whatever. We don't have a live studio audience this episode, so we're gonna appeal to Robin. Robin, can you give her a clue onto what you think? Which musical instrument does Pa play? Is it A piano, B harmonica? It's not harmonica. C flute, D fiddle. Or E, the 1962 Fender Stratocaster original pickups, maple neck, strung up sedan for left-handed mother effing genius. I also want to pick that last one, but (laughs) (laughs) Um, am I supposed to give a hint or can I tell you? Supposed to be a hint. hint. That's right. That's right. Okay. It's a lot like, but not necessarily a violin. (laughs) Why a hint? (laughs) I know that was too obvious. You can either use her hint or stick with harmonica. Or stick with harmonica. (laughs) Okay, uh, I think I will go with fiddle. Fiddle is surprisingly correct. Well done. Two more points for you. Perfect. Fiddle, D, is the correct answer. When Michael Landon was asked to direct the pilot of Little House on the Prairie, he agreed with the condition that he be cast as Charles Ingalls. His role on both on-screen father and behind-the-scenes director and mentor created a close bond between himself and Melissa Gilbert, who played Laura, a.k.a. half Pint, and this translated into excellent chemistry on screen. This didn't stop him from being laughed at for his terrible fiddle-biming on the show, however. I guess even Michael Landon can't live up to paw. If you guessed option E for this one, then you're making the common mistake of confusing Little House on the Prairie with The Adventures of Ford Fairlane. It happens more than you might think. 1962 Fender Stratocaster. Original pickups, maple neck, strung upside down for a left-handed motherfucking genius. So after two rounds, Robin, what's the score at? Nine points. Nine points. Not bad. Really picked it up in that second round. For sure. That could be the top score we've had on a, for a millennial after two rounds. So Wow, not bad, look Lana. at that. Okay, well, you know. I mean, that's not true, but if it makes you feel more confident about going on <laughs> to the next round of the show, then, then mission no, accomplished. That's okay. okay. Just, just lie to me. It's totally fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're going to take another listen to the Power Struggle clip before we start round three. But before we do that, let's hear a quick word from our sponsor. 
Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight Lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you're enjoying the show so far, please consider giving us a positive review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from, and subscribing for future episodes. The only way a show like this gets anywhere in the podcasting world is by positive reviews and by word of mouth amongst friends. So, if you're inclined, please help us spread the word about the podcast and share it with that special Gen Xer in your life. We'd love to have you as a friend of the show. Thanks so much! Now, back to our program. The Power Struggle. Of course not, don't be ridiculous. What's your name? It's hard to say in English. Well, just say in your language. My name is... Round three today is a game called Gen X Voice. For this game, we are going to listen to five clips of famous voices of the generation timeline, and you need to tell me whose voice it belongs to. So we're looking for the name of the person speaking here. Each correct answer is worth two points. Good luck. For voice number one, we are looking for the name of the man speaking that you will hear seconds on this clip. Okay? Don't get mad at me because you started it. I know it. I want you to keep putting me down. Huh? Look, I can't get nowhere with this Mr. Hendrix, but I want to keep him here. All he seems to like is the way you keep mouthing at me. Huh? Look, stop hawing and listen. <laughs> now, when he gets off the phone, service our drinks and then keep insulting me, okay? Wait a minute. Am I hearing this right? You want me to insult you? Yeah. I'll give you 20 bucks if you do a good job. Look, Mr. Jefferson, keep your 20 bucks. This one's on me. <laughs> what is the name of the actor speaking in that role? Oh, gee. I know it's George Jefferson. Um... Oh, man. Uh, Sherman. Is Sherman involved in his name, perhaps? <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, gee. Um, it's it's just like right there. Um, Hemsley. <coughs> Sherman Hemsley. Yes. Yes. Sherman Hemsley is? Yes. Correct. Yes. Well done. Sorry Thank for you. coughing in the middle of your answer. Oh, sure. No, no problem host. at all. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sherman Hemsley first played George Jefferson on the show All in the Family before he got his own spinoff show called The Jeffersons. He played that role for an impressive 11 seasons during that show's run. He then continued playing him in cameos and guest spots on The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, in commercials for The Gap, Old Navy, and Denny's, and even playing George at a dry cleaning convention. The show never had a finale, however and was unceremoniously canceled without notice to the cast and crew. This understandably upset members of the cast, 
So they took matters in their own hands and put on a stage play of the Jeffersons to allow those characters to say goodbye on their own terms. Very awesome. I never knew that. That's that's yeah. great. After eleven seasons, never getting a chance to do a finale. And they kind of got uh they kind of got screwed over in that, I feel. Yeah. So, absolutely. Uh, good, good for them for taking matters in their own hands. Definitely. That's that's phenomenal. Stick it to the man. <laughs> okay. Our next voice is it's kind of difficult to hear, and it's from a deleted scene from a very popular Gen X movie. So that might make things a little bit extra tricky. There are two people speaking in the clip. But we're looking for the name of the person who does not say the word pancreas, but has the bulk of the dialogue in the scene. Whose famous Gen X voice is this? Uh-huh. And what might that be? Pancreas. As in the gland that has important functions in digestion and metabolism. It secretes a thick, colorless fluid containing digestive enzymes. Excuse me. Check, please. Kind of hard to hear. You've probably never watched that scene before in your life, but can you recognize the voice? Oh, it's, I mean, it definitely sounds familiar. I, yeah, I know, I know the voice, but this is probably not right. But uh, I, I think I'm going to go with, was it Billy Crystal? No, I'm sorry. That is incorrect. As we mentioned, this is a deleted scene from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. When they go to a fancy restaurant in Chicago after convincing the maitre d' that Ferris is the sausage king of Chicago, they eat a dish that contains pancreas as a main ingredient, but that whole scene was cut from the final release. Now knowing this and make the line from a later moment in the film when they're recounting the activities of their day makes so much more sense, which up until now was kind of a head-scratcher. Cameron, what have you seen today? Nothing good. <laughs> nothing, no, nothing This... What do you mean, nothing good? We've seen everything good. We've seen the whole city. Uh-huh. We went to a museum. We saw priceless works of art. We ate, we ate pancreas. Remember that part of the movie? It says they <laughs> ate pancreas. I'm like, when did they eat pancreas? That fills in the gap. Normally, they kind of cut that stuff out out of movies. Like, if they know they're going to delete a scene, they also cut out all the references to the mm-hmm. scene that they edit. But this one made it through. Now that you hear it, do you hear Matthew Broderick's voice? Yeah, yeah, I, I can. It, it sounded different to me, but yeah. I, I yeah, can. it's kind of hard to hear. Sorry. Mm-hmm. But you got it wrong. Yeah, number three. Did. <laughs> <laughs> voice number three. Voice number three is taken from the talk show Larry King. We are recording this on Father's Day, so we thought we would throw in a Gen X father figure into the mix. Tell me the name of this person speaking here. I was just coming off one of the great failures in the history of talk shows. Thanks for bringing it up, Larry. And, uh, <laughs> to ha- I didn't care if the script was any good. I was just happy to have something to do for a week. And in fact, I was in doing what I had started my career doing, and that was as a writer. I was in pitching a show to ABC, and uh, they were developing it. They liked the idea, and they said, you know, but by the way, we have this other show that we haven't found the male lead for yet. Uh, I just I remember when I finally got the part, I bursting into tears in the parking lot and phoning my really? two young boys instantly and just uh, basically feeling that now I'd be able to take care of them. Oh, it's the same way. It's like, it's so familiar. Um, mm-hmm. There's a couple okay, of hints in there. Yeah. Um, so is it the dad from Growing Pains? Um, Alan, um, gee, what is his last name? I, I don't know. That's that's my guess. Alan from Growing Pains. <laughs> Alan from Growing Pains. Judges, are we going to give her Alan from Growing Pains? 
let's yes. give <laughs> let's give a reveal and see if you're right. And they said, you know, but by the way, we have this other show that we haven't found the male lead for yet, and they could maybe like use an Alan Thick type. And I said, well, uh, I happen to be available. Uh, <laughs> otherwise, I was going to be uh, driving the Zamboni for the Kings that year. Yes, Alan Thick. Yes, Alan Thick is correct. That is a partial correct answer. So we're going to give you one point for that. But the judge handed me another note. He mentioned being the host of a failed television talk show. We will give you one extra credit bonus point if you can name that talk show that failed, that Alan Thick was the host. It was a nighttime oh. talk show, if that helps you at all, by Alan oh. Thick. So was it just the Alan Thick show by any chance? No bonus oh. point. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's called The Thick of the Night. Oh, okay. The Thick of the Night. Interesting. Yeah. Resisting the urge to make a bad joke right here. Okay. Um, here's number four. Our next voice can be heard when she visited David Letterman's talk show in 1986. Whose iconic Gen X voice is this? But I have something for you because uh, I also went on vacation for a week. Where'd you go? The card. <laughs> I went to the card. Uh, you, you... <laughs> I did, and I brought back a few things for you. Is that like Cape Cod? Is that yeah, yeah. There's a lot of people... See, a lot of people call it the cape. I call it the card. That's all right. Yeah, call it, I think call it whatever it is to you. Sure. Uh, but I didn't have time to really wrap them, but That's I figured right. you would love them. I love stuff. gifts. Um... You see, this one right off the bat, I says, when I seen this, I says to myself, oh, he's going to love this one. Now, when you, do, when you do say things to yourself, do you use that voice? <laughs> yeah, well, you know. What iconic, unusual voice is that? Is, is that Martha Ray? No. Martha Ray has a very usual voice. Her voice is so unusual. I'll give you another oh. track at this. See, I, I really, I really don't know. <laughs> it's terrible. I really, I really don't. So that's your final answer? Yeah, I think so. Oh, uh, well, I think so that you're incorrect. Yes. I'm sorry. That's yes. Cindy Lauper. Oh. Yeah, I tried, I tried to lead you with the so unusual voice. Ah, uh, yes, I see. I, yeah, for some reason, I was picturing a much older person back then. So, yeah. Well, here's the fun fact. Sydney Lauper, known for her thick New York accent, is only an Oscar away from getting into the EGOT Club after already winning a Tony, Emmy, and a Grammy. It is said that regional accents like hers are on the decline due to the increased access of media from around the world. With more people being influenced by different accents at a younger age, the less pronounced historical accents are becoming. The judges are wondering if this is true. So that's one of the reasons why we set up this nifty voicemail system on our website. I like that segue. We're putting out a challenge to our listeners to visit our website and click on the blue microphone icon and leave us a voicemail. We are looking for the best, thickest, most awesome regional accent to ask us a Gen X pop culture trivia question for the show. We need at least five good questions to make up an episode and the submissions with the best accents will get on an upcoming episode. Who are we kidding? If you've listened to this podcast before, you know the ones with the worst accents will get on the show as well. So step up to the challenge and use the voicemail that we're paying for and add your Gen X voice to the podcast. It's free to use, and it would be amazing to hear from our two British listeners since they already have those weird accents ready to go. Head over to whowillsavegenx.com or just click on the link in the show notes for this episode. Our final voice for the episode might be the toughest of the bunch for you personally, Dr. Bailey. Oh, no. Listen closely and see if you can score on the last voice of the game. Why, you 
horrid man. You, you. All right. Keep the little beasts for all I care. Do what you like with them. Drown them. But I warn you, Anita, we're through. I'm through with all of you. I'll get even. Just wait. You'll be sorry, you fools. You, you idiots. Who's that voice? Oh, that is a hard one, especially for me. But I think it's uh, Corella DeVille, who was played by Betty Lou Gerson. That is correct. Yay. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. Betty Lou Gerson is the correct answer. Judges, are we going to give it to the listeners if they just said Corella DeVille? Mm. Oh, I guess we're not. If you don't know about the actor that played that character, then maybe it's just for a lack of knowing about her. Dr. Lana, what is something interesting about Betty Lou Gerson that you can tell the listeners about so that they will remember her for something other than just being the voice of Cruella? Right. Well, so her voice is so recognizable and and it's very unusual, even though she voiced uh, many different villainesses, even besides uh, the infamous Cruella DeVille. One thing that's so interesting about her is that she actually was a small town Southern gal. And it's really odd to think of uh, Cruella DeVille as being a small town Southern gal. But she was born in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and she was raised in Birmingham, Alabama. And she grew up in a very affluent family that was actually very fraught with scandal. So she had, uh, she just had a really fascinating childhood and uh, young adulthood when she got her start in radio. Uh, for her, you know, Disney was just kind of like this little cartoon startup company. So she wasn't, uh, didn't really have the context that we have of Disney, of course, today. For her, Corilla was just a fun part that was kind of forgettable. And it's so interesting because she's very timeless. I think probably worldwide, she just never really understood the significance of the character and, uh, and certainly didn't understand her to be an icon. She has an amazing voice. You, yes. you can pick out that voice anywhere, I'd say. So she probably had a thick Southern accent, I'd imagine. She did. Yeah. She was raised in these uh, in these like classical boarding schools in Alabama. And she was also brought up very close to where Tallulah Bankhead uh, was raised. And so they sound kind of similar. You can hear almost the Southern tones uh, underneath this overlay of uh, of like British influence. But yeah, very unique voices for sure. With the name Betty Lou, I guess being from the South was pretty obvious. <laughs> uh, looking back. Exactly. We'll take one last listen to the Power Struggle question and then get your answer. Okay, here's your final listen. Of course not. Don't be ridiculous. What's your name? It's hard to say in English. Well, just say in your language. My name is... Hey, Lana, don't monkey with my business. You need to give me the final answer for the power struggle question. One through five. Let's hear him. I'm a little speechless. I don't know, to be really honest with you. The only, Yes, yes, <laughs> exactly. The only thing that I really recognize in the clips, I think I heard Daryl Hannah in the movie Splash. And I think that's literally the only thing I recognize. <laughs> so you, don't even, you don't even have guesses for the other four? 
I really don't know. Okay. I, I'm just, yes, I, I'm useless well, on that. Here's the thing, though. I got to enforce the rules of the game. I'm the host. Every question must be given an answer. No matter how incorrect they are, you need to give me four answers or you're going to lose four points. Oh, no. Okay. All right. So the first one, the song is, is that, um, okay, let the music play. I assume is the title. Number two, Gone with the Wind. That's what, that's what I think. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, number three, uh, I, Planes, trains, and automobiles. We'll go with that. <laughs> well, there are automobiles in that clip, that's for sure. Okay, and then splash. You know, I think I mentioned that. And then the last one, the Macarena. That's that's what I'm going to say. Macarena is not a Gen X property. <laughs> Judges, can she please just stay on the show, even though she said Macarena? I'm a vulgar man, but I assure you, my music is not. <laughs> I see stay on the show. Okay. All right. We're <laughs> not going to kick you off the show, but <laughs> oh, is you. she correct? Judges, did she get all five correct? <laughs> I'm sorry, Lana. Uh, Surprisingly, that is incorrect, but thank you for giving it your best shot and, and being a good sport about it. Appreciate that. Yes. Thank you for not removing me immediately from the <laughs> show. <laughs> I think we need to institute an instant kickoff, though, if anyone says <laughs> Macarena in the future. Trap door. <laughs> yeah. You got a millennial working for you, Zabe. That's a risk. <laughs> yes. I, I was a liability from the beginning. <laughs> well, the listeners love you. I can guarantee it. Oh, that's good. Well, I'm sorry, Lana, but that is incorrect for the power struggle. And that means we turn this over to the listeners to see if they can get it correct and claim that prize package. To enter for a chance to claim that generous prize package, you can join our newsletter and there will be a place for you to send your answers into the question. All correct entries will be put into a quarterly drawing to win the prize package. Details on how to join the newsletter can be found in the show notes for this episode, or you can contact the show directly at whowillsavegenx at gmail.com, and I promise to write you back and give you all the details. Good luck! Lana, first, thanks so much for lending your time and talents to the podcast. Did you have a good time on the show? I had a wonderful time, yes. Great. Lana, do you have a message for those listening that you beat here today? Oh, yes. Well, uh, (laughs) yes, I hope that they were patient with me because technically a millennial and I don't really belong on this podcast, but you guys were (laughs) awesome and had me on anyway. I hope everybody had fun listening and I'm sure that everyone did much, much better than I did. (laughs) Before we hand out the ranks of the quiz, let's talk a little bit more about your book. So I wrote the biography of Betty Lou Gerson, of course, the iconic Cruella DeVille voice of the Disney's original 101 Dalmatians. And the book came out at the beginning of this year. Um, She was just a really fascinating lady um, in terms of her life and her career. And of course, everybody knows, I think across myriad generations, who Cruella DeVille is. And she was so humble and she was so, I think, just oblivious to the fame associated with that. In the book, you speak about how she overcame many personal tragedies and was a voice of feminism at the time when the entertainment industry was not open to hearing about that. How influential was she in that regard? And how did those challenges play a role in her speaking out on, for women's issues of the day? It was so different then, you know, and empowerment and feminism really looked very different than what we think of those concepts today. And so for her, she was very interested in um, the artistic rights for radio actors. Today, we have organizations like SAG and uh, AFTRA 
you know, for us, they're like normal. And it's like, yeah, of course those things exist. And, and that's great. But for her in the 30s, you know, that was like a very controversial and very new idea. And she and her husband were very significant in kind of the implementation of the really early organizations like that. That was something that she was just very passionate about her whole life. And especially for women in that era, because her lineage is uh, Russian. So she experienced, and of course, the book talks about this, you know, a lot of different types of discrimination from her heritage, but also just from being a woman in this kind of oppressive era, and especially in the South. And I can say that because I'm also from the South. (laughs) Yeah, she she was just um, kind of ahead of her time in terms of her ideas on, you know, how people should interact and uh, and the place that women should have in society and certainly in entertainment. Uh, One of the cool things about her legacy, this was something I sort of unearthed. This wasn't something that she just went around telling people. Until she passed away, she always had a portion of her royalties set aside to go back into the actor's uh, union to kind of support these up-and-coming artists. And one of the people that she supported in coaching her was uh, Mary Tyler Moore. Mm. And so it's it's kind of funny to think of Corilla DeVille as being like a mentor to Mary (laughs) Tyler Moore. but America's um, sweetheart. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, she just did a lot kind of behind the scenes, maybe one of the first versions of uh, modern feminism. Well, these advocacy organizations might revere her as a champion, but I can tell you one thing. I know PETA hates her guts. I don't care how you kill the little beast, but do it and do it now. But it's interesting to know that maybe without her support, we wouldn't have a Mary Tyler Moore, perhaps. On some, you know, on some level, maybe we wouldn't know her as she is. So that's worth it right there. Absolutely. Hey, Lana, tell our listeners where they can find you. This book is on Amazon and it's Voice of Villainy, the Betty Lou Gerson story by Dr. Lana Bailey. And I have a website and it's lanabaileywrites.com. And I have a few more books. And so that that page tells you a little bit uh, about my other works that are similar. I, I really like the biography niche. So, Well, if you're a lover of biographies, I recommend checking out her stuff. You can find links to where you can find more about our guest books in the show notes. Thanks again for being on the show, Dr. Bailey. Thank you so much. This was fun, even though I like sort of bombed out at times. <laughs> was, I had fun doing it. So. Right. All right, everybody. Do you remember your score? There were 22 points available. Let's go and see how well you did and get the grades and ranks. Robin, what was Dr. Lana Bailey's final score? 14 out of 22. Hey, I'm okay with that. Better than like, you know, two. Well, maybe when you listen to the grades and ranks, you won't be okay with 14, but let's find out. (laughs) If you're playing against our special guests and scored less than 14, then you let this millennial beat you and you might want to go back and brush up on the memories of your youth. This episode, we're using the Disney Villain Scoring System for grading the quiz. These are all the evilest Disney villains we grew up with, ranked from least evil to most evil. Let's go to the ranks. The Wonderful World of Disney. A score of 20 to 22 points is the grade of an A and earns you the rank of Cruella DeVille. What are the odds that the top grade would be voiced by the topic of our guest book? What a shocking coincidence. (laughs) Members of Generation X were frightened by Betty Lou Gerson's voice as the sound of a villain, but in real life, she was anything but a villain. 
That's exactly right. Cruella wanted to chloroform puppies for their skins, and that's downright evil. I want the job done tonight. Are we gonna do it? Any way you like, poison them, drown them, bash them in the head. You got any chloroform? I don't care how you kill the little beast, but do it! And do it now! But at least the actor who voiced her was good. So, you get an A. Congrats! (laughs) You're doing your part to save Generation X. Well done. A score of 18 to 19 points is enough for a B. And the rank of Madame Medusa from The Rescuers. Evil, greedy, and ruthless, she used an innocent orphan seven-year-old girl named Penny to get her hands on the largest diamond in the world, the Devil's Eye. She used Penny's only possession in the world, her teddy bear, as a ransom in order to get her to risk her life to get the diamond in a dark cave slowly filling with water. You are such a bitch. She then betrayed her own partners just as she takes off with the diamond to keep it for herself. Even her own alligators, Brutus and Nero, wanted to do away with her by the end of the film. She is everything that describes a villain. However, she doesn't kill anyone. But for the trauma she causes Penny and her teddy bear, we think that this earns at least a B on today's quiz. You get down there and find the big diamond or you will never see that teddy again. A score of 16 to 17 points is enough for a C. And that gives you the rank of Scar from The Lion King. Unlike other Disney villains, Scar is one of the very few villains to actually execute their plans and succeed. Scar didn't care about anyone but himself. All he wanted was the power. He even went as far as to murder his own brother and completely manipulated Simba into thinking that it was his fault that his father Medusa, Medusa, his father Mufasa died. He lied to the hyenas into helping him. He lied to his brother. Even when he was defeated, he still lied to Simba, still playing his little game with him. Scar was truly evil and a lying liar lion who lies to the point of nearly destroying all the animal life on Africa. But seeing how the boomers have been trying to do the same thing as well, long before Scar came around, we have to give him only a C on the ranks. And here's my little secret. I killed Mufasa. No! A score of 14 to 15 points is enough for a D, and we're reaching pretty far back on this one. Your rank is the coachman from Pinocchio. This dude was a piece. If anyone forgot how evil he was, I suggest you dust off your old Pinocchio video and go watch it again. This scumbag kidnapped hundreds, if not thousands, of young boys by luring them to Pleasure Island. After getting the children to smoke and drink, they get transformed into donkeys. He enslaves children and destroys their humanity for profits and sells them into places like the salt mines. The reason he has never been caught is because he sends his goons to kill the families of the children before they can trace it back to this loser. The coachman had very little screen time, but from what we can see of him, we can tell that he's a great A turd. The fact that he has never stopped serves to make him that much more effectively horrifying and despicable. And if not for the jerk who's next, he would be an F. But we're giving the rank of this score a D. Now, uh, coachman, what's your proposition? Well, you see, I'm collecting stupid little boys, and I take them to Pleasure Island. Pleasure Island? But the law, suppose they... No, no, there's no risk. They never come back as boys. <laughs> That's frightening. Super creepy. Yes. yes. <clears throat> 14 points, you get a D, Lana. You didn't feel Yay, that at all. I got a D. Perfect. Well done, you're the coachman. Oh, the creepy, oh okay. The creepy person who <laughs> turns boys into donkeys. Oh, how about that? <laughs> 
At least it didn't fail. Yeah. And finally, if you scored 13 or less, well, that's a failing grade, I'm afraid. And your rank of the most evil Disney villain of all time, Judge Claude Frodo from The Hunchback of Notre Dame. There really has never been a Disney villain as evil as Frodo. His occupation is despotic. His morals are extremely warped by a Puritan mindset. He figuratively and literally goes to hell at the end of the movie. He kills the mother of a malformed son. He locks and brainwashes in a tower for two decades. He commits an ethnic cleansing because he's convinced Esmeralda is a succubus trying to undermine his faith in God. All the while, this 70-something dude lusts for the 20-something Esmeralda with some really bad intentions. He burns Paris down and the entire family is alive for not knowing where Esmeralda is. He purges, tortures, and kills any of his henchmen for not following his orders. He tries to kill Esmeralda and Quasimodo at the very end, still somehow thinking he was the good guy. This guy is in a league all of his own when it comes to villains. What's even scarier is that he may be one of the most realistic villains in the Disney product. He is a religious zealot that truly believes that everything he's doing is what God wants him to do. And for misusing God's name in order to commit atrocities is an epic failure, as is this grade of an F for not getting more than 14 points for the quiz. What are you doing? I was just imagining a rope around that beautiful neck. I know what you're imagining. Such a clever witch. So typical of your kind to twist the truth to cloud the mind with unholy thoughts. What a dag. Try again on the next episode of The Home Game and see if you can get a passing grade. Oh, and one last thing. Frollo's occupation is that he is a judge, and we all know that all judges have some evil in them. Right, judges? I never broke the law. I am the law. I have one shout out to give. I'd like to give a huge shout out to new Patreon supporter Chris S., who recently signed up at our newest tier on Patreon called the 69 Club tier. 69, dudes! The newest tier only costs $1.69 to join. However, we have a special going on right now on our Patreon site that if anyone joins the 69 Club tier at $1.69, they are automatically bumped up to get the benefits of the $6 Double Dare tier. This is a limited time offer and is limited to only the first 69 people that sign up. And then that's it. We have upgraded all of our tiers recently. So check us out on Patreon and see what all the new offers are all about. But here on this episode, we want to celebrate Chris for joining. Here's a sound clip in your honor that we hope you especially like. Especially like. Chris, this one's for you. Your middle name is Macho. I'm wondering if you ever cry. You ever has Macho Man ever cried? Oh, yeah. Really? Uh-huh. It's okay for Macho Men to show every emotion available right there, you know, because I've cried a thousand times, I'm going to cry some more. But I've soared with the eagles and I've slithered with the snakes and I've been everywhere in between. And I'm going to tell you something right now. There's one guarantee in life and that there are no guarantees. Yeah. And... Uh, Mm-hmm. I understand this. <laughs> Nobody likes a quitter. Nobody said life was easy. So if you get knocked down, take the standing eight count, get back up and fight again. And you're a macho maniac. Dig it. We hope you enjoyed playing along this episode of The Home Game. And we'll post your score on our Facebook group page. If you're interested in supporting the show, we have a Patreon account set up for those who would like to take advantage of the special rewards we give out for becoming a Patreon subscriber. However, if you just want to send some appreciation for what we're trying to do here, we also offer our Venmo account, and you can send that to Who Will Save Gen X. Detailed information is available in the show notes for both of these ways to send some love to the show. If you have any questions, comments, or shoutouts, or would like to sign up to become a guest on the show, you can email me at whowillsavegenx at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your feedback and invite you to become a friend of the show. 
Well, that's it for this edition of The Home Game. Thanks so much to all of you for listening, wherever you are, especially you in Poland. We'll be back with our regular version of the podcast in the next episode, where we will once again ask the question, who will save Generation X? Later. But it's interesting to know that maybe without her support, we wouldn't have a Mary Tyler Moore, perhaps. On that's some, true. You know, on some level, maybe we wouldn't know her as she is. So that's worth it right there. Now listen, you idiots. Why, you horrid man. Who can turn the world on with a smile? <laughs> Who can take a nothing day? Drown them. And suddenly make it all seem worthwhile. Uh. But you go and you should know it. You idiots. With each glance and every little movement you show. <laughs> I know. You idiots. You fools! You're gonna make it after all. You got any clothes on? You're gonna make it after all. Those surely must be joking. I'm through with all of you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.